Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Real Scotland Blethers, the podcast of realscotland.com that's dedicated to covering all aspects of filmmaking in Scotland. I'm Jonathan Melville, editor of Real Scotland, and for this episode I'll be having a blether with the actor and screenwriter Andrea Gibb, who I met up with in March at Glasgow Film Festival. It's been a wee while since the last episode of the podcast, partly because I've been busy writing a new book on that classic, uh, historically accurate Scottish film, Highlander, which is due out later this year, and partly because I recently returned to university to study for a master's in screenwriting. And so because I'm trying to learn from the best when it comes to screenwriting, I thought I would try and catch up with Andrea Gibb, who I've admired for a long time. Uh, Andrea was heading into a special event at Glasgow Film Festival when I caught up with her. She was about to discuss her work on her latest TV play, BBC One's Elizabeth is Missing. The film is based on Emma Healy's best-selling novel and it stars Glenda Jackson and it was produced by STV Productions with filming taking place in Scotland. The film is still on BBC iPlayer as this episode comes out uh, in late March. Uh, but I'd urge everyone to try and watch it before it disappears. I spoke to Andrea about how she moved from the world of acting into screenwriting and we discussed her cult 2004 film, The Brilliant Dear Frankie, and where things might be heading with the Scottish film and TV industry. I should say that the interview took place before the announcement that a film studio is in the works here in Edinburgh and also before it was announced that Elizabeth is Missing has been nominated in the Banff World Media Festival's Rocky Awards for Best Single Film. So congratulations to Andrea and the team for that one. I started by asking Andrea how she got involved in screenwriting. I was an actor, like you say, for... A long time, I always wanted to be an actress, always, 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 that was kind of like my ambition and I was brought up in Scotland um, and my family weren't really in it any way, they didn't have any, they weren't, you know, they didn't, art and culture and music and drama wasn't, they watched the telly, that was kind of it. Um, and I, but they always knew that that's what I wanted to do, but being really properly west of Scotland, my dad said to me, you have to have a trade as well. It's really important. You can't just be an actor, you have to have a trade. So I went to uni and then I went and trained as a teacher for a year so that I could then go to drama school because that was, that was doing what my dad, proper west of Scotland, dad, working class, you need a trade. So I, I became a teacher. But I went to drama school after that and then came out and just and, and became started acting. Um, but being a teacher was fantastic because I could supply teach whenever I was out of work and I was out of work, you know, f- fair wee bit. You, I, was a, I was a good jobbing actor and eventually, you know, I had a, a really good career. But I was getting kind of to a point with it where I was thinking, oh, I, I'd done social workers and teachers and I was, that's, you know, you get cast as nurses, social workers, teachers, kind of all that kind of thing. Yeah. And there wasn't really a massive amount for women as I was getting into my 30s and getting a bit older. The parts were getting more kind of, they were not drying up, but they weren't so interesting. And I just thought, oh, there must be more than this. But I didn't know what. I didn't know what else I could do. And I didn't want to teach full time because I still wanted to act and be involved in in acting and in drama and what have you. So I thought, well, what else is there? Now, I had always viewed writers as magicians. 
and I had no idea. I'd never thought about how they did it. I, I just did my lines or read scripts and marveled, watched television and, and just thought, wow, they are, uh, writers are magicians. But it was never something that I thought I could do or even wanted to. I mean, I did creative writing at school and I used to write a lot of stories. And so I was always writing, but I didn't think of myself ever as a writer. Mm -hmm. And then I came up to Glasgow to do a show at the Tron and I was, in, I was in acting in it. And I was really struck, because I was living in London at the time, and I was really struck how in Scotland, because it was smaller, it seemed that opportunities were greater for you to be more than just one thing. And I was working with people at that time who were doing, who were starting to make short films or direct as well as act or do, all, you know, like they weren't just in one wee box. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's possible that you don't just have to be this one thing. So I went back to London and I thought maybe I could try writing a short film. And I, and I don't mean that to sound in any way trite because I'm not underplaying how difficult it is to write a short film. But I, it, I was on a wee journey, if you like, from being, from being where I was as an actor thinking, what else? I could try that because it seemed possible after having spent time with these people who were doing it. So I, I did that old maxim, write what you know, and my mother had seven sisters. So I had tons of stories. I mean, tons yeah. of Greenock stories. My mother was a Catholic, my father was a Protestant, fit in both camps, amazing kind of family history stories that every family I think has if you know if you dig deep and you listen and my my family were always talking about the old days and so there was a ton of a ton of material really that I thought I can tap into this so I wrote a story that my mum had told me as a short film um, and I called it Lucky Bag and at that time my husband at the time was a composer he was a he was, he was a theatre composer, but he had just done a short film and he was being incredibly encouraging. And he said to me, if you want me to show that to the producer of his short film, I can do that for you. And, and I saw Mob's a bit nervous and he said, no, no, he said, even if she tells she doesn't like it, she might give you some advice or she might say, don't bother, give up or whatever, but it will be somebody to, to bounce off. Now that is a really hard thing to do, get somebody to read stuff. And I think it's hard even today. Um, and I was really, really lucky. She read it. She was, she really, she liked it. She gave me really good feedback and then said to me, right, write something else. Write more. Don't stop. Just keep writing. Keep using the stories. Keep digging into whatever. So I did. I, um, I wrote another short film, which was called Natural History, which was base, which was basically the feature, the, the basis for the feature that became Dear Frankie. Mm -hmm. And it was only 13 pages long, and it was called Natural History at the time, but it was essentially the same story. And we entered it for Tartan Shorts, which existed at the time, it doesn't exist now. I remember those, yeah. Yeah, existed at the time, we entered it, it got shortlisted. And I thought, oh my goodness. And then Another, I'd entered another short film for Prime Cuts, which was shorter than the Tartan Shorts, and that got shortlisted. So out of nowhere, I had two shortlisted short films for these two schemes in Scotland at the time. And 
I can honestly say that if it hadn't been for those schemes, I would not be writing yeah. today. And I was really, really, really lucky because I'm a scheme girl. I, I, you know, I came through the schemes because I didn't get the tartan short, and now I was gutted at the time, but now I'm really delighted I didn't because it became a feature film. Mm -hmm. That script became the basis for Dear Frankie, which then became a feature film, which kind of launched me. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so even if you get, so I suppose what I'm saying with that is, even if you get a rejection, don't give up because the rejections can become something incredibly positive, and and you can always do something with stuff that maybe somebody else hasn't liked but somebody else might so nothing is ever done or finished with in the mm -hmm. film industry and TV industry it's always got another life or it could have so don't give up rejections don't always they don't matter in some in some ways yeah. um, unless everyone is rejected yeah, and then yeah. you've really got to think about that but so I then thought oh my goodness maybe maybe there's something in this for me I didn't get the Tartan short, but I did get the prime cut. So then something was being made. It was six minutes long. And then I entered this, um, this comp not competition, but yeah, kind of like script scheme thing, which BBC and at that time they were called Creative Scotland or S Scottish Screen. They yeah. changed their name so much. But they were Scottish Screen at the time and they were really big champions of mine. I was, again, I just felt lucky. Um, and it was called this, the, the scheme was called Newfoundland, 30 minutes long, two characters, one location. So they gave you uh, really quite strict rules, mm -hmm. which uh, you think, oh my God, I can't do that. But actually, it's really useful to sometimes just have parameters. Yeah. And, and, you, and you can't, benchmarks, you can't go over. You've got to try and write something in between, in, you know, with what they're saying to you. And I did. And that, and that got made. And... And then from there, Afterlife, again, a short, uh, you know, a feature film, it, 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 won it was a scheme. Maybe that was the Newfoundland, I can't remember. I think that was the Newfoundland and the BBC one was called Two Lives, so yes. So, um, so yes, schemes, schemes, everything mm -hmm. a scheme, which they don't have. And that frustrates me for people starting out, because I yeah. think if you had those, they were so important in my day. I mean, you know, for me particularly, um, and I don't quite know, I don't quite know how people, why, why people don't still do mm -hmm. things like that, because I think it, maybe they do, I don't know what it's, what, what there is available in Scotland, but there certainly should be opportunities like that for young people coming through. Yeah. Although, it's getting your second film, I think, and your third film that's as hard as getting your first, but anyway, that's another story. Um, so suddenly, I was making, I was writing scripts that were being made and it had happened within a period of like a year mm -hmm, that's amazing it was so fast it was quite shocking but i was still acting as well yeah and there was when i was writing golden wedding which was the thing for two lives for the bbc i was doing uh, a show at the lyceum in edinburgh i was actually in a show at the lyceum so i was writing all day and performing at night and that was like nirvana it was like the best thing ever because I was, it, both of them were feeding each other creatively, if that makes sense, because I was sort of, I, I had to be on stage at night, so all, all, all my creative ions, I know it sounds a bit daft, but they were fizzing. So then when I was writing during the day, it was kind of, I was using that yeah. and being around actors. I love actors. Uh, I love being with actors. I love being part of, a, of the actor family. And I really miss that as a, because I, I don't really do any acting anymore. Well, I, not, I, 
if somebody asked me, I probably would. Mm -hmm. But I, I am so busy as a writer at the moment that I've had to sort of put a wee halt on the acting as right. well. Um, and I really miss actors. I miss being with actors. I just absolutely love them. So that that suddenly, I can remember when we were making Dear Frankie and Afterlife. Both were being made in t exactly at the same time in Greenock, which is where I was born. And I remember they gave me a unit car so because they wanted me to be on hand in case things needed changing because the central character in Afterlife was a, was a young woman with down syndrome and the central character in dear frankie was a boy who was deaf so they just wanted to be sure that i could be on hand in case anything needed changing and things in case things needed to be rewritten or what have you so they gave me a car i had a unit car and i used to go to afterlife i used to go to dear frankie for my lunch and afterlife <laughs> for my afternoon tea because the catering <laughs> was great was because the budget was higher yeah. so you got a slightly higher caliber of lunch <laughs> but but sandwiches are the same wherever you go yeah. so I would do that I would go to Frankie for my, for my lunch and afterlife for my tea and I can remember the first time I drove down and I got to the roundabout at Port Glasgow which is just the wee town before Greenock and there were two unit signs on the round, on the roundabout on the sign that said Greenock and they were both for my film Fantastic, my film yeah. and I pulled over and I just <coughs> screamed in the car could not believe it mm -hmm. But it took me a very long time before I would say I was a writer. Yeah. A very even then, I would if anybody asked me, I would say I would never say, "Oh, I'm a writer," because yeah. it felt like a a coat that I hadn't quite managed to grow into. Yeah, I mean, Dear Frankie is a is a fantastic film. Thank you. Uh, but it, it, it's a, it's not to make uh, when I say strange, it's I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but it's strange in that it seems to have found its audience. Yeah. I find I saw it on television, BBC Two, I think. Maybe Probably BBC about one. eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember. I mean, you can correct me. I don't remember it coming out and being a huge thing at the cinema. But yet, you speak to people now, and a lot of people have seen it. Yeah. And on Twitter, I see a lot of mentions. Yeah, there's of a wee it. cult. It's a wee cult. It's a little cult film, yeah. almost. Isn't I mean, it, it was Jerry line. Butler's first really. Yeah, we should say that. Yeah, yeah. and. So how, is it, how do you think it's found that 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 life of its own, and, and is it is it through those TV broadcasts? I think it, no. I think it's an interesting film in the sense that it's a domestic film, but it's quite a high concept. Yeah, and that's quite unusual. Um, I also think that it was based. I based that again. I used something from my own life. My father, when I was wee, was abroad, um, and we lived in Greenock, and my dad was all over. He because he, he couldn't get any work in Scotland, so he travelled. Um, to get work, and he was he he was he worked in Pakistan and Borneo and Nigeria, and we, my mum didn't want to go, uh, so my dad would go off for these contracts, and we would stay at home. And my grand my mum didn't like living on her own. We lived in a tenement in Greenock, and my granny used to come and stay with us every night. So basically, the setup for Dear Frankie was my childhood, uh, you know, until I, until I was old enough, and we did eventually go and join my dad in Africa but at that point so there would be my mum my granny and me and my wee brother who's not in the film um, in, in this tenement really and my granny taught me to read by making me read the obituaries from the Greenland Telegraph she taught me to I was reading before I went into school because she made me read the obituaries <laughs> so that was kind of it was 
it, that was my, it, that was it. it. I wrote to my dad. We wrote letters to my dad. We corresponded in that way. We went to the photo studios in Greenock every month to have our photos taken and they got sent out to him. And so it was kind of, that was it. It was about having an absent father who you were longing for um, and the rest of the story I made up. But I used a kind of, a real kind of, I used... Uh, yes, I used something that I knew and that I that I could relate to. So there was a universe. I think there was a universality about about the subject matter, even though it was domestic. I think it. I think it transcended that, and it became quite epic. I think it's shot beautifully. Shona Arbach, who directed it, has it. It looks beautiful. I can remember there was one point where there's a, a scene where Jerry and Emily Mortimer walk, walk down. They walk down this. It's down a street in Greenock. I think it's by the by the waterfront. And it looks like the Riviera. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm exaggerating slightly, <laughs> but it, and I just thought to myself, people from Greenock are going to be going to the travel agents and saying, can we go there? <laughs> but actually it's Greenock. Yeah. Um, so I think it was about the way that it's shot. There was something timeless about it, about how it looks. And we, it got into competition in Cannes. And I can remember this, I'll never forget this day because I think it's really important. We, were, we got a 15-minute standing ovation in France, in Cannes, in, at the, at the at, in, with a French audience, you know, the kind that go to the, the festival and are film buffs. Yeah. They stood up for 15 minutes. There was a lot of people there from Scotland uh, who will testify to this. We couldn't get them to stop clapping. And I honestly, we all thought, oh my goodness, we've got, this is going to be huge. It, it, was, it felt in that room, in that moment, like we had something massive and we came out to one star from peter bradshaw in the guardian one star oh my so from being up to down it was like it, it was astonishing and so and do you think that that one star had a yes effect on i absolutely do i think that the broadsheets in um the broadsheets in the uk did not take it to their heart however it got really good reviews in scotland so it didn't last in cinemas in in England, in the South, although it did up here. I think it was mm. in cinemas up here for five, six weeks. Um, we came very close to the Audience Award at the Film Festival in Edinburgh. Very close. I think we were second that year. Um, so it had a, there was a lot of love, particularly in Scotland, for it. But the broadsheets in England were just not... They just didn't get it. However, it went to America... And Jerry Butler has amazing fans in America and they took it to their hearts. And so they basically, they emailed, they faxed, they, they, they protested at their libraries, at their video shops, at their local cinemas, everywhere for people to, to bring the film to ha so they could see it. And, and basically it was in American cinemas for something like 18 weeks. So it built up this this little cult yeah. through his fans mainly and yeah. um, so I will be eternally grateful to them because yeah. I think they, they they kept the film afloat for a very long time and and then of course it got put on television and and it, it sort of then rippled I mean they wrote fan fiction really? based on it and I mean incredibly humbling to see that but you know they they gave each of the characters a life beyond the film you know loads of fan fiction so yeah. I think it could live on as a, as a 
as a TV series or something, you know. It's oh God, I'd never thought of that. Somebody approached me once to ask if I'd like, it, if, it w if it could be done as a musical, but nothing ever happened with that. No. I, I am incredibly proud of it as a film. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I think it's... No, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I'd love really to. I don't own it, it, but I kind of wish, now I think I need to yeah. go try and find the DVD. Well, they, they are, they, they, the women, Jerry's, Jerry's fan club have been, were amazing yeah. in making it what it, you know, that little cult thing that it became. Yeah, and and there's a lot else we could talk about, but um, you're going to be doing your your talk yeah, in the next little while, and I think we should probably, in a way, jump to that to Elizabeth. because Elizabeth's been on the television recently. Yeah, uh, and again, you're sort of here to talk about that. So, I mean, how? I don't know. I mean, we could ask about the the, the development process, but I mean, it's been quite a long time in, in was, coming. Yeah. What what was it like in a way? Then let's jump to to now really and what, what's it been like the reaction to that film because it's a beautiful film you know, and it was filmed in Scotland of course yeah, as well it was I mean um, I think it's been we've been really overwhelmed by the reaction to it it, it was a long development process as you say five, five years and it changed format in that time from being a three hour television um, mini sort of serial series I think that's called yeah. to being a 90 minute single film um, and, and certainly, I think for me as the writer, the single film format is absolutely the right one for that particular book. We just took a wee while to get there. Mm -hmm. That's what development is. It's a series of um, choices and wrong roads and good roads. And, and you just have to be completely open and receptive and, and not lose heart, be, you know, be incredibly resilient and, and really kind of, if you're passionate and you believe in something, and I was totally passionate about this book, I totally believed in it and everybody I was working with was exactly the same. It was one of my best development processes ever in terms of the, the other people. I had the, a magnificent script executive called Claire Armsback who works for STV and the other executive producer on it, Sarah Brown, who's kind of creative, who's kind of the creative head at STV. She was amazing. They were like champions. and. Uh, that we we just held that book so close and so with so much love that I think it, every wall we came up against we just we just climbed over it and we were like we're well, keeping going. It feels like an unusual format these days because uh, you know we used to have things like screen one and yeah and play for two. today yeah of back. course uh, things like that and these days everything seems to be six episodes or yeah. maybe three episodes yeah so getting this ninety minute they don't have many slots that's no. for sure because. Because it, because people like a they like a, a binge you know now they're binge watching with the three hour you need hooks you've got to make sure you can bring the audience back next week so there's a there's a different pressure you're sort of pressured to keep to keep the story moving forward you need a lot of story for BBC One and when we were doing the book we realised that actually it's a single protagonist told from her point of view it's very experiential you're totally inside our head in the book and we wanted that for the drama and um, you can't really uh, cutting it off at the end of an episode one or episode two you wouldn't have got the flow and yeah, you and need to be immersed in that exactly story. and we were having to make story up in mm. order to create hooks which did not exist in the book um, because the book, that's not what the book is there to do so in the end being able to start at the beginning of her story and take her on her quest to where she ends up at the end no spoilers then I think the single film became the obvious thing. Yeah. And I, we were very lucky that Piers, um, when Piers Wenger at the BBC was, was totally behind that shift. 
um, and thought that it was absolutely the right thing. Would you like to see that that kind of format coming back? Yes. I mean, I know it's it's easy to say, but I guess the budgets are categorically. Are tricky, it's very tricky to sell. I think it's very tricky to sell a single film internationally. Um, I think it's very difficult. The making the money work is very, mm. very hard. So I totally understand why broadcasters are loath to do it. But I think audiences really love it. Do you think, without getting into details about viewing figures and things, I mean, it is still an iPlayer and it's on for at least another two or three months. Yeah. And that's fantastic as very well. Very fantastic. That, that longer life that it's yeah. got. Is that it's fantastic. Do you get kind of feedback on that and does anyone email you and say oh it's got this many viewers now or yes I think STV I think I think STV and BBC keep an eye on yeah. consolidation um, so I guess the more the more people watch it the more the it better it, but you know and also there STV will be handling international sales yeah. I don't I haven't asked about any of that but I'm sure that's all ongoing um, I mean the wonderful thing I would say about STV I think it's important yours is a Scottish yeah. podcast isn't it I mean STV used to be known for Tagger yes and in the last few years, under Sarah Brown, the whole perception of what STV drama is and does is changing and has changed. They, they, they have a wonderful slate. They have the most amazing kind of approach to writers. They're very writer friendly. Um, they really believe in, qual in quality and they want to make stuff that means something. Uh, that's not to say that Taggart wasn't or didn't do that because Taggart is, is of its, you know, had its own total quality and merits. It, it, you know, it was its own brand and gosh, it was amazing. I was even in one of Taggart, uh, in a Taggart. But I, I, in terms of perception, they, they're doing a lot more than just that now. And I think that is, um, I think it's uh, for writers living in Scotland, working with STV. I think people should be should know that that, that STV is there and they are really open to meeting new writers and to talking and to reading and to you know uh, they're very engaged. So do you feel, in a way, that you are although you're you're based down south? No, oh, I'm based in. I live in Edinburgh. Oh, do you live in yeah, Edinburgh? Yeah. Sorry, at I the moment I live in Edinburgh. Right, yeah. Okay. So I'm I was going to say, do you feel like a, a Scottish writer in a way, even though you're based down south? But totally. Yeah. I've all, even when I lived in, in the south, I, I would... Well, that's your, your voice, I isn't it? I feel myself Scottish. Uh -huh. um, not exclude. I mean, I don't happen to believe that Scottish writers can only write Scottish of stories no, no, no. or anything like that. I think it's really important that we don't. Yes. Um, I think that's really important, especially in this day and age, that we keep our eyes looking outward and that we, f you know, that we, we look elsewhere than from just our small part in this island. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't consider myself to be parochial no, as a writer. No, that's not, no. Yeah, yeah. but I, I do feel Scottish to my bones, yes. And I suppose my final question, because we have to let, I have to let you go, but um, when I started doing my website, Real Scotland, about 10 years ago, yeah. talking about new things being made up here was not, it was a bit negative, it was a bit like just maybe not much happening. Yeah. And I wondered what your kind of view is, you talk a lot about STV there, yeah. which is again, That's changing wasn't happening 10 nope. years ago, it was kind of the other direction. Yep. How do you feel about, let's say, fiction production in Scotland, you've got BBC Scotland as well, of course, and yeah. independent companies. And I think BBC Scotland are under Gain, Gainer Homes are doing really great things. I've got a, I've got a couple of projects with them, um, and I really love working with Gainer on Elizabeth is Missing. Uh, I think that for me, there was a golden age where it felt at the beginning, two, 2003, two, four, five, where it felt like Scotland was really lifting its head above the parapet and pushing beyond its weight in terms of its, of its, of, of its output, its dramatic output in terms of film and TV. 
and then something happened and it just I don't know I, 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 I could hazard a few guesses I, I have my own theories but I think we would all agree that it, something catastrophic in some ways happened I find it astonishing and I'm going to say it that there is no studio oh, yes. in Scotland I find it astonishing I find it uh, it, it beggars belief and I think it's to do with the fact that Scottish Enterprise, for example, I don't think they acknowledge the benefit that the cultural industries bring in terms of economic value to this country, to any country, particularly to small countries. They've only got to look at the Nordic model to see how, how well it works in Scandinavian countries, Nordic countries. You know, it, 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 it's quite short-sighted and it's not very, it, it just is, it, it drives me mad and I know I'm not alone and you think, oh my God, so many, so many reviews, so many panels, so many people looking at why there should be a studio, constant talk and talk and talk and absolutely no action. Yeah. So for me, from my point of view, it needs people in government, in, in organisations like Scottish Enterprise in in the, the the private and the public sector to look at the creative industri industries and to say this is really beneficial not only to our to our economic culture but to our psychological culture our moral culture our happiness everything yeah. because people cannot exist by bread alone yeah. etc so I'm quite outspoken about about the need for investment more investment and a studio. I mean, we are losing so many opportunities. It's just, it's it, it, yeah, it beggars yeah. belief. Yeah. Anyway, that's soapbox over. No, well, that's it. That's uh, that's where we have to leave it. Okay. But it's it's a good place to leave it because it's a discussion that needs to continue. Yeah, and it should um, be being had. Yeah. I mean, it is being being. That the problem is there's too well, much chat. Well, it has for the last ten years yeah. plus. Yeah. Yes, plus but the rest. But, but people are really. I I can remember being at BAFTA Scotland one one year when Tommy. Tommy, what's his, oh, Tommy, oh my goodness, what's Tommy's name? Tommy Gormley, oh, yes. amazing first AD. And he gave a very impassioned speech when he got the, the fel you know, the, one of the BAFTA special awards for his work uh, on amazing films all over the world. You know, Tommy is Scottish and he, he works in America, all over well, the world. He's off doing Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible 7, I think. Yeah, it's exactly. He's, yeah. A, he's an astonishing ambassador for film, Scottish film. Yeah. Scottish filmmakers yes. and um, he gave this most impassioned speech about the need for a studio and I think that might have been five years ago possibly yeah and we haven't got one yet no thank you Andrea for taking the time out to have a chat to me the other month I know you're in a rush and uh, yeah I really appreciate it that's all for this episode there will be more on the way I've got a few interviews in the works um, I won't promise exactly when, hopefully the next few weeks. I think with the way the world is going at the moment, I'm in lockdown, we're all in lockdown of course, but um, there's a little bit more time perhaps now that my book is almost out of the way to dedicate to more interviews. So hopefully if there's, if there's anyone you want me to try and speak to, please get in touch on Twitter. Uh, just search for Real Scotland. Um, or Facebook, you can send me a message on Facebook or you can email me at uh, realscotland, that's R-E-E-L scotland at gmail.com If you do like the episode, please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes 
mainly, well, partly, so I know whether you want more of these. You can also check out more episodes at realscotland.com forward slash realscotlandblethers. Thanks for now. Stay safe and I'll speak to you soon.